My name is Jenny Helwig. I work in marketing at Bentley Systems, and today I will be your host for Water Experts Unfiltered. This is a podcast channel dedicated to water infrastructure professionals, experts, enthusiasts, and to anyone who has interest in topics related to hydraulics and hydrology. In each episode, we invite one of our Bentley experts to talk about industry topics, trends, and real solutions for real problems. If you have a thirst for water knowledge, stay tuned because we will quench your curiosity, not with drops, but with a constant flow of water knowledge. In this episode, we invited Julio back again, one of our trusted advisors for OpenFlow Solutions, and I will let him introduce himself. Hi, Jenny and listeners. Thank you for inviting me again. I'm very happy to be back here. For those who are new to this podcast or haven't listened to the episode about infiltration, runoff, and overflows, my name is Julie Salquajima from Brazil, and I'm extremely passionate about water infrastructure. Welcome back, Julio. We're happy to have you. Today, we will talk about water loss and efficiency. Is that correct? Exactly, Jenny. Water loss is one of the main challenges in the industry and is a very non-main offender. This is not a brand new problem, but it's persistent. And its negative impacts will be more severe because climate change and extreme weather events such as troughs. Droughts will intensify the impact of water loss for the population and users. And that's why it's key to improve efficiency throughout the entire water supply process. We'll see in a few minutes how all that relate to water losses in efficiency today's topic. But the takeaway is that regardless of the fact of real region being rich or poor in water resources, this topic is extremely relevant. Now that you've mentioned water loss and efficiency, which is our main topic of the day, let's dive in a little deeper. Absolutely. There is so much ground to cover. We are just starting to scratch the surface of this fascinating topic. I hope that after this podcast, we will have new enthusiasts about reducing, or better said, controlling water losses and improving efficiency. Let's start from the very beginning. We need first to differentiate water losses from water leaks. Okay, so are you saying not all water losses are leaks? Yes, you're getting close. I'll get that in a minute or two. Uh, Though both are closely related, and causes or causing inefficiencies, there is a very important distinction between them. The best way to make this distinction is to think about the journey of the water before reaching our taps, and if that water is being accounted or built for. Or your water utility usually needs to pump the water out of the reservoir, river, or even from groundwater aquifers. To pump that pump that water, you need energy. Some energy tariffs might change according to volume, peak hour, and even the energy source, but imagine that it's costing money, creating gas house emissions. And depending on the water quality, it will need a more complex or simplified treatment process. The more complex the treatment is, It would include more expensive machinery like membranes and even lots of quantity of chemicals 
that will add up the cost of to produce drinking water and also increase the, the need for energy for that more complex treatment process. After the water is treated, it can finally be used. But before that, it will need to be pumped again into water mains or stored into water tanks and later released to the water mains. So for those who aren't used with the term water mains, it's like the name implies the main or primary pipe systems in a water distribution system. A good analogy would be that the mains are like the arteries uh, and of our water distribution systems and the smaller blood vessels are like capillaries have similar role to the smaller pipes that are connected to our homes. Oh, wow, that is very interesting. It's easy to take for granted how much work is involved even before the water reaches our taps. Yes, right. Not to mention the fact that this underground network covers kilometers and kilometers, oops, or miles and miles to our U.S. listeners. Engineers and operators undertake a gigantic engineering feat day in and day out to ensure our access to water. Now that we understand how our water system works, we need to consider that that not every drop of water taken from our rivers, lakes, and aquifers that is treated gets into the final users or gets paid. We have water leaks that are resulted from breaks in the pipes or in the network, but another source of water loss could be frauds, someone that is stealing water directly from the network and not paying for it. These are the most common cases that come up to my mind right now, but we have, but we must also consider about some other cases like operational mistakes leading to overflowing water tanks or even schools, parks, hospitals, other public services like fire departments that use water but not necessarily paying for it. All right, now it's time to organize all that so it makes more distinguishable to your audience how to separate those water losses and most important, understand that there are different strategies and solutions that should be applied to each one. So we basically have two types of water losses, the physical or real losses, sometimes also called technical losses, which correspond to the volume of water loss due to leakages and water tanks overflows. There are also the commercial or apparent losses, which are unauthorized consumptions or frauds and metering inaccuracies such as a customer meter errors or handy data data errors but besides that there is also the non-revenue water or the volume of water that's not billed remember what i mentioned about public services such as hospitals fire departments parks that are authorized to use water but not but in some cases not paying or not being billed for that well, that's just the non-revenue water. When we add this to the unbuilt but authorized water consumption to the real and apparent losses, we find the non-revenue, which stands for NRW, the non-revenue water. Julio, can you tell us how the non-revenue water and water losses relate to efficiency? Yes, of course. If the utility loses more water than is making available to the built users, 
there's a huge space to cut down costs and increase revenue. Someone needs to pay this bill and the build customers are paying for that inefficiency. These operational gain can, can and would be better used on new pipes, new pumps, improved monitoring systems that can that then just being lost. Besides that, it's not only hard work that is needed to make that water available on taps, it requires a lot of energy chemicals. An entire process of pumping and treating water is very costly. Energy is probably the number one operational cost and losing huge volumes of water due losses or frauds is not only harmful to the environment because we need to draw a lot more water from more water resources than you actually need and not to mention all the emissions needed to operate these pumps. But it's also will diminish significantly the service life of your access assets. Your pump will need to operate longer and harden, and your pipes will be overpressure over at some sectors in order to sustain the demand flow and pressure. By attacking the real losses, you can decrease operational costs, and by attacking the apparent losses, you can increase revenue, thus improving operational efficiency, and in the long run, reinvesting all that gains into your system, making it more efficient. Another uh, angle we need to consider is that by being able to rationalize the use of water of them built and un unauthor uh, but authorized users would also allow the utility to make more water available to the built users, thus increasing revenue and cutting down costs. Now that we understand the different causes and types of water losses, could you tell us how engineers and utilities can work to zero all the water losses? Absolutely. But before going to detail of every strategy, I need to point out that water losses will always exist, unfortunately. Moreover, they are likely to keep increasing if no action is taken. Therefore, engineers and utilities must continually work on different strategies to prevent the losses to get out of control. So does that mean it is impossible to solve all water losses? Good question, Jenny. You can solve the problem caused by water losses by reducing and controlling them rather than completely reducing them to zero. The main reason for that isn't the fact that this is an impossible task, but because this will be too expensive. The other reason is that every system will have inherent losses that cannot be addressed unless structural and structuring changes are made, which we'll talk a little bit later. So that part portion of the parent losses that cannot be addressed unless those changes are uh, happening are called the unavoidable real losses. Instead of fighting each and every source of water loss, we must focus on the economic level of the losses. Engineers and operators must work to keep the parent losses close to what is called the economic level of parent losses. And of course, once we start improving our strategies and technologies, we can always reduce that economic level to next to the unavoidable real losses. So we are improving the management and reducing it. But really, we need to think how, how viable it is to, to solve the, 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 the losses rather than exterminating them. This is very interesting. How do engineers work to control and reduce the real losses? Today, I'll focus more on the strategies to identify 
and localized leakages and disturbances in the water network for water loss and control purposes. In that sense, to be effective on controlling and reducing the real losses, engineers must first gather flow and pressure data. You cannot control what you're not measuring. That's easier said than done, but this first step cannot be overlooked. Of course, one can always choose to find and locate the leakage by trial and error, but this is like finding a needle in a haystack. It is highly unpredictable and time-consuming. Uh, once they have gathered data, it is possible to analyze the data and correlate disturbances in the pattern of flows and pressures with possible leakages. There are several methodologies to enable you to translate that, this data into knowledge, but in my opinion, the most adequate and reliable is using the hydraulic modeling. If you are new to this podcast, please be sure to check out our past episodes. We have an episode where one of our Bentley experts talks about everything you need to know to get started with hydraulic modeling. Julio, can you explain to us why we, you believe that hydraulic mod modeling is the best option when engineers work to control and reduce the apparent losses? Absolutely. This is why you caught me here, right? What I like the most about hydraulic models is that they can provide several ways to help engineers make incisions and how to best control leakage, replacements, repairing uh, uh, leakage leads, and or reducing pressure to reduce leakage. Let's start with improvements on how we manage the system so, so uh, they can increase the efficiency on detecting leaks. Imagine you have a large system the effect of uh, on the or disturbances in the pressure and meteorite flows caused by one leak cannot be overlooked because it's like it's just like finding a needle in a haystack. However, if the system can be subdivided into DMAs or district meteorite areas where the inflow is known, a leak impact will be noticed more easily. These can lead to a focal search for the leak as opposed to randomly searching in a large area. OpenFlow's water gems has some tools that uh, will make it a lot easier to find the boundaries of the system, so to make that subdivision. Finding and creating DMA requires also water meters, thus being able to know the expected range of flow through that meterate area is essential in selecting the size and type of, of the, the customer meters. The open flows water gems can also be used to predict the range of flows that the meter will encounter over its life. Okay, so once we find the district metered areas, is it possible to just shut down the leaks? The probably most effective and cheapest action to reduce water losses is pressure management. By reducing the water distribution assistant pressure, it is possible to reduce the water loss from existing leaks and possibly reduce the number of new pipe bursts, thus extending the life cycle as they will not need to be under constant high pressure when they are operating. But if you reduce the pressure to zero, even your clients will be affected by this drastic measure. Using the hydraulic model is possible to simulate the best pressure ranges to avoid impacting on the users and also that will enable you to reduce those water losses and energy costs. 
another analysis is, is still under the pressure management that the hydraulic model will be an excellent resource is to evaluate different settings and scenarios for pressure reducing valves that will reduce the target set point for pumps, thus saving energy, or adjusting the pressure zone boundaries so what so that users will receive a decent amount of pressure in their taps. I don't recommend any pressure management in the field before testing it in a model. WaterGems has a tool called Pressure Zone Manager that can be used to plan or adjust those pressures in order to ensure a reasonable range of pressure for the users. That tool can display pressure zones and calculate their properties such as minimum and maximum pressure and elevations. And if customers have excessive pressure, they can be moved to a lower zone. And what are other important analyses that engineers can perform using hydraulic models, such as finding out where the leaks are? Well, to be able to find and reduce leakages is a key element on efficiency and water loss control programs. Leaks increase in pipe flows, which results in additional head loss and drops in the pressure. These drops in the pressure can be read and, and those readings can be used to help to detect the leakage and, re, and re pinpoint for maintenance crews or, or uh, manpower where the leak is most probably located at. This is, this is why it's very important to have a, a, a calibrated hydraulic model at that stage. Uh, I will not dive into details about model calibration because my colleague Diego already explained all about model calibration in another another episode, but assuming we all know and have the uh, the model calibrator by now, let's move on. Uh, for instance, uh, WaterGems has a tool called Darwin Calibrator for leakage that that is very useful. Uh, using known water demands for measuring the model, which has no leaks, we probably give results with higher pressures than the measured data. That's when the generic algorithm help us. The algorithms will perform thousands of simulations, moving the location of leaks around the system until the pressures that Darwin is going to give us are going to match with those that were measuring the field. Those leak locations are the best places for the utility to start leak detection actions like geophoning and trying to find those leakages. Sometimes, there are leaks that can can't be found, the un, unavoidable leakages. For those cases, it's recommended using OpenFlow's WaterGems pressure dependent demands analysis to study the amount that you can expect to reduce uh, leakage by reducing pressure and look at the impact on customer service. Julio, is there a way that hydraulic modeling can help identify potential problems in the water network before any disruption happens? Excellent question, Jenny. Yes, there are some tools that are made just for that. Uh, for instance, WaterGems has another tool called criticality analysis that engineers can use to identify, identify areas to be shut down, to be repaired, and areas that will be impacted if they do not do any action. Uh, another interesting tool is the pipe renewal planner that can be used to identify the most vulnerable pipes in your system, 
allowing engineers to take action to remedy these issues or prioritize pipe, pipe replacement. But before we move on on talking about apparent losses, I need also to talk about digital twins being applied to optimize operations in near real time. Would you be also able to explain to us a little bit more about the concept of digital twins? Well, we will need an entire podcast episode just to talk about digital twins, but I'll do my best to summarize it. The digital twins or DTs are digital copies of your system. The digital twin is continuously synchronized from multiple sources to represent its near, near real-time status working conditions or positions in a way that any disturbances, pipe bursts, pump shutoffs, low pressures, low reservation, and etc., that will be detected in the in the sensors, uh, will be also reflected uh, in real time at the digital copy. So operators can visualize what's happening and take action more quickly and efficiently. For that to be possible, it is required a lot of data about that infrastructure, such as engineering models, sensors, 3D models, any information about the asset will be added into the digital twins. Uh, regarding the apparent losses, being able to update the water balance more quickly and often than someone would do it with non-digital uh, methods will provide utilities information a lot faster about how much volume is lost on apparent losses and real losses. Besides that, the digital twin can integrate data from the customer meters to perform analytics to plan replacement and identify which customer meters needed to be replaced or the, if there are any inaccuracies in the, the matter of data. Because DTs will be updating and running the hydraulic model whenever new data is being uploaded by, by the sensors, it can analyze also the historical data. It will be able to alert operators anytime if there are any data value that is coming that is off the, the historical pattern and that might, might indicate some kind of disturbance or anomaly in the system like a, a low pressure or high pressure or any disturbance in the flow. Uh, this near real-time capability to monitor the network allows better management of the system. In that way, the system will be more efficient, resilient, and sustainable. If there are known strategies to reduce and control losses, why do we see a lot of systems with alarming water loss rates? Yeah, water loss pre prevention, reduction, and control require deep changes the established operational management and culture. To be successful at that, it is required a new, accurate, and agile workflow to speed up the identification of losses and quantify the volumes that are lost. And of course, find out the reasons why they are happening. According to the World Bank, the reasons why the water loss programs fails are poor knowledge of the nature of the losses, so they don't know what kind of losses they have, if they're real, they're apparent, how much water has been lost or where is that loss coming from. Difficulty in evaluating the impact of losses to the utilities and to the society. So despite having losses, the utility cannot really assess how harmful that is and why it should be uh, solved. Poor project design. 
Sometimes projects are inconsistent and they are created just to get funds from the government or from the municipality, not real, doesn't have a real strategy to, to attack those water losses. And that's also the, another reason is cost underestimation. That process can be expensive, but you need to remember that if you're solving some huge losses, you are also saving a lot of money. So being unable to evaluate that despite the cost, the project will have a payback is another problem. And of course, we talk about the when losses are inherent to the, in the management operations of the system as a whole and not a just isolated technical problem is really hard to solve that problem. And water losses programs should not be considered just a, or an occasional activity, but one that requires ongoing and long-term commitment. Like I mentioned before, water losses increase through time because pipes get old, uh, people may break pipes by by uh, some earthworks, and you need to be, be consistent and be monitoring your system during long-term committing to learn how to operate and, and be able to solve and find some leak, leakages that are really hard to find. This change is a challenge and can be hard to shift paradigms, but effective and successful water loss programs will bring a lot of gain to utility users and the community, such as you can reduce the risk of intermittencies. So you going to be uh, certifying that no matter what is happening to your uh, system, there won't be people without access of water for some hours or days. You can save this regularity of the pressure and flow and reduce and sometimes eliminate investments on rehabilitation plans for water production and reservation. Once you start losing water, some projects that, that utilities might need a lot of, of funding to expand a treatment system or new tanks that can be can be postponed or not even be necessary because you don't need that that no longer and carrying out the necessary operational improvements and habitation in production abduction pumping and reservoir units you can reduce the energy costs and reduce maintenance costs all those savings over time would add up as a result, the water tariff will be less burdened and therefore utilities can opt to partially subsidize the, this, the sanitary or sewage network expansion improvements with that savings. Uh, would you be able to illustrate how important the water resiliency is using the Brazilian example for our audience? Sure. As I mentioned in the, uh, the other episode, Though Brazil may own 20%, one-fifth of the world's water supply, we are not immune to water shortages. There are still, we are still subject to droughts, inequalities in the water availability, and lack of, service, of safe, service, safe water supply and sanitation services. The resiliency and sustainability of a system goes beyond just being effective to operate the water distribution systems. There are other topic, other, other, other points of interest like water resource management. And due to the fact that these precious resources are uniquely and geographically distributed in Brazil, and of course, there is a lot of water degradation due to climate change and poor uh, access to sanitation infrastructure. 
to be more specific, we have a lot of dumping of our raw sewage in, into our rivers that can uh, make the, the availability of water unequal. Water resources management is very important for not only for the infrastructure, but also for some ec important economic sectors in Brazil that are very dependent of water, such as energy. We produce most of our electricity using hydropowered plants and agriculture. So any changes on the climate and, and rain patterns and rivers, of course, will impact us greatly, such as the drought in the southeast Brazil from 20, 2014 to 2016 that caused a lot of economic impacts due to water scarcity. To make even water, many rivers in metropolitan regions have poor water quality, make them unsuitable as drink water resources. The cause of that is like, like I said before, the access to safely managed water and sanitation services is unequal. And in particular for the wastewater collection and treatment coverage uh, is very low. Um, only around 50% of the households has access to wastewater. And of those 50% that has access, they are collecting sewage, but not necessarily treating it. Only 40% of the collected, collected wastewater is treated. So a lot of the, 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 there's a lot of raw dumping of wastewater into rivers. And once those the pollutants are discharged directly into river, uh, the water quality gets very bad. So it is it, is too expensive to treat that water. And not only uh, not, not even talking about industrial influ effluents that also can be detected on our river. So that makes forces utilities to find regions very far away to pump and treat it, making the the cost of water even greater. Wow, that is really interesting. Um, and that also leads me to the final question. You previously explained to us how digitalization can help to optimize and improve water loss programs, but how does sustainability fit into this? I have no doubt that digital transformation, the digital twins, and now the disruption of digitalization will cause a huge impact on how we plan, design, we monitor and operate water and sanitation networks. I would say that without this revolution on the way we do things, we plan, we analyze, analyze, operate, and maintain this video structure, it will be impossible to reach the sustainable development goals related to water and sanitation. Digitalization will allow engineers to be more confident on planning, designing sustainable and resilient infrastructure. This will allow operators to better understand the system's behaviors, and to act based on data, will be, they will be able to reduce energy costs and therefore the emissions. And they'll be able to identify and localize more quickly leakages in or system efficiencies, allowing to better manage these systems and reduce not only the losses, uh, the unavoidable losses and economic losses levels, but also save money that can be applied in regions that need that, that resources the, the most. But we must remember that we are in the beginning of this journey. The water sector is now in the early stages of learning the value 
of ad adopting those digital technologies to solve problems like water scarcity and, and water quality issues. And both public and private sectors are now proofing and recognizing how socioeconomic risks and impacts for the current operations of, or, or, and business growth of not using that technology. On top of that, these new challenges are increasingly more complex. I'd say nearly impossible to solve using older tools. Right now, we have available a ton of digital resources and technologies such, such as remote sensing, real-time monitoring, improved water utility asset management, connect devices or IoT, predictive analytics, and artificial intelligence that are being leveraged to achieve sustainable, resilient, and equitable access to safe water, sanitation, and hygiene, which means that we need to deploy digital solutions to, to process all that, that volume of data that is being generated daily and extract actionable information. Uh, this means that to be efficient and effective in the use of water data for public sector business and to drive societal and economical improvements that we need. This is great information, Julio. Thank you so much for sharing all your knowledge on water losses and efficiency. And thanks everyone for joining today. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast to learn more with Bentley's experts that will bring helpful information, industry trends, and real solutions for real problems.